we will use, um, we will look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. There's a bit of a jumping off. I know I've covered this passage in the last couple of weeks, but I feel like I need to say a few more words. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 15, and then we have, we literally treat it like a diving, a diving board. We're going to jump off and swim around in several scriptures. Is the best way to think of it. So, if you're there, let's go to the Lord in prayer and get started. Our Father and our God, we I come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, the only name that makes that true and possible. And Father, I ask this morning that you would that you would speak for me. Make this solely and completely of you, and make it worshipful and true. Father, I, I just I, I want to convey, Father, what the, the thoughts I've had, and unless you do it, it won't be done. So I give you all the praise and honor here this morning. I thank you for everyone who gathered here, Father, to give you the praise and honor that you so richly deserve. Father, work in each life present in such a way, Father, that when they leave here, they talk about what a great Savior, what a great Lord, what a good God we have. Or more importantly, has us. Father, I just ask your hand now in Jesus' name. Amen. We have looked at this chapter, um, and we're about we're here shortly. We'll be moving forward into why he authorizes elders and deacons and that sort of thing, and we'll go from there. But as I thought about this passage, specifically 8 through 15, some headings you may have in your scripture, depending on the particular translation, just may simply say men and women in the church. Mine has that little heading stuck in there. Uh, and we've talked about these roles, and it, it specifically how men are to act and how women are to act. And um, and it's interesting to me as I've been studying this and, and just looking at everything, uh, there are tons of commentaries on why you should lay hand, lift up hands and how they should be lifted up and how these holy hands should be done and, and how this praying everywhere is to be conveyed. And, and there's plenty of commentaries about what wrath and doubting are. And this is what it is, this is what it's not. And even more commentaries on this roles of women, right? Who, uh, how they should, wh what, what constitutes silent? Wh when is that to be? You know, uh, w when women can teach? Where can they teach? Does that include high school teachers? Does that include children? There's women, only women's groups, and on and on it goes. But there's very little commentary that I have noticed that dwells on the fact that you know we are to do this. We are to do this. God said this. We ought to do it. I mean, it's. That's very little commentary about that. Very little commentary to actually encourage and, 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 and help us to do these things. Because let's just be honest with ourselves. Men, have you had any problem with this idea of lifting up your holy hands? Come on. Any problem? Am I the only one? When to do it, when not to do it? Should I do it? Am I being, is somebody looking at me when I'm doing this? Is, this, is my hands clean? Are they right? What is it? What about praying everywhere? Really? In the middle of the Walmart line? Right now? Is that what you mean? Wrath and doubting? Come on, Lord. Can I do a little Nehemiah on some people? I really want to come off the wall and lay hands on a few. I don't doubt I want to do it. <laughs> All right? Struggle with that? Sure. Maybe. Maybe I'm the only one. Good. I'm glad I'm an example. Women. Did you bristle just a little bit at this part where it says be silent in church? Thank you for being honest. <laughs> what, is that? what do you mean I can't teach? I got a lot of information. 
right? I, I saw a meme. This is never mind. I'm not even going there. No, I'm not. It's just never mind. It's a. It's a. Never mind. And how I should appear, right? How 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 that's supposed to look, and and and, and being silent, and 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 taking my right place, and and then getting offended over the whole business about Adam was formed first, and Eve, and it was she was deceived, and all those kind of things. And you know, I understand because I'm weak in the flesh too. Paul understood he was weak in the flesh. We get it. It doesn't change the fact that it's a command. So I, I had a few thoughts, and I have a few passages I want to go to. First of all, when we become obedient to what we see here in chapter 2, 8 through 15, when men and women take on these right roles, it first becomes a picture of our love for God and God's people. That's the first thing that I thought about as I was looking at this. Turn over to Matthew chapter 22 for just a moment. I told you we were going to dive off of this and swim around a little bit because you know what? I, I can't get past the simple fact that we ought to be doing these things. Men, we ought to be living kind of lives that we lift up holy hands and that we pray everywhere and that we don't really have wrath and doubting. We don't doubt what God's doing in this situation. We don't have wrath and anger and animosity and, 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 and the wrath of God dwelling upon us and these kinds of things, certainly. But... So the first thing is, it's a reflection. When I, when I become obedient and do these things, it, it, seeking God to have holy hands that are clean and unfettered from the things of this age, from the things of this world, to lift up to God, that I'm not lifting anything else up but this to God. It's a picture that I love God. That I love Him because He said for me to do this. And the evidence that I love Him is what He told His disciples. If, if you... you Love me, you keep my commandments. And so here we see this picture of me, me demonstrating to anybody and everybody who wants to see it, not because that's my intent, but because that's what's going on in my heart. But I love God. Look at the command here. Jesus is dealing with some Pharisees like He always dealt with. you know. In verse 34 of Matthew chapter 22, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that He had silenced the Sadducees, which... Right away, the Pharisees are all up in it, right? They're excited now because Jesus done slapped Sadducees. So that's good, right? And when, you're got, when, when your guy slaps the other guys, guys, you're okay with it. Come on. Come on. When your candidate whips the other guy's group, when he set, makes them look, you know, well, that's what's going on. So they're all like, yeah, let's go. He done. He, you hear what he told the Sadducees? About time. They gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, there's always a lawyer involved in this, asked him a question, testing him. You think by chapter 22 of Matthew, they would have given up testing Jesus. But no. <laughs> we got another test. These tests don't end. They keep coming. And asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, this designed to trip Jesus up naturally, to get him to say one's greater than the other, and so that the other ones I don't have to necessarily do or obey or follow after, or some way create a question, in some way create a controversy, so that he can be attacked more so. That's that's the point. And Jesus does nothing but quote to them scripture from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. Jesus said to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So this first and great commandment is to love God. 
That's an inward thing. That's what's going on in the heart. God has done this to us. He's the one who has given himself for us so that we might love him. I submit to you and to myself and anybody who has ears to hear, you are, are incapable of loving apart from God. We heard about common grace this morning. Look, my, I watch my cow. My cow will take care of her calf, and then she'll turn right around and run it off. I've seen alligators take care of their babies and then eat them. There's, it's, that's not love. Countless people take care of things and do things, but it's not love. The only way we truly love is when God enters our heart, and He transforms us to Himself, and He makes us look like Him. And he's, he's the one who does this. So he says, is this how you keep this first great commandment? Was you love God with all that you have. When I don't care whether you see me lift my hands or not. That's why marriage is such a perfect picture of this. When a man takes a wife, he truly does forsake everything else. Everything else. Everybody, everything for her. That's the picture. And the only thing I have is this. So he's telling us here that first and foremost, that if this command is to love him. And I demonstrate this love that I have by my outward actions. This is how you know that I love God. I keep his commandments. I obey what he says. I attempt to strive after him. I attempt to follow after him. I do all these things according to what he has said. This is what he says is the great commandment. And then he goes on to add to it. And he said, there's another one that's just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we've talked countless times about being, being loving ourselves, and I don't know many people that don't like themselves. Right? We pretty well do. We pretty well do. But he's saying to us, I'm supposed to love my neighbor that way. I'm supposed to follow after it. So the short version here, the first point I'm trying to make is that this command that God has given us in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-15 through 15, is a command to worship God and be the church. The picture we have here is men of God worshiping God and women of God submitting to that truth and being the example of the church before the world. And why do we do it? Because we love God and we love our neighbors. See, if I truly love God, then I want to please Him by all that I say and do. And if I truly love you, truly love you, then I want you to know that truth. If I really love you, I'm willing to go to that nth degree to say that thing, to bear that burden, to wear that stripe for you if it is. To put up with and endure and go along until you see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? Everyone here who claims to be Christ, somebody endured you until you came to faith. They demonstrated the love of God constantly before you. Think hard on it. Think back on it. Just remember the, the person who you would point to and say, man, that's the person who really witnessed to me. They're the person who really God used to bring the gospel home. And if you think about it, what you'll come away with going, their theology wasn't perfect. They didn't have all the dots and tittles down perfectly. But man, they loved me. They loved me. When I was with them, I didn't feel condemned. When I was with them, I didn't feel belittled. I didn't feel less than. I didn't feel worthless. I had, there was a hope. There was, a, there was a, a love. There was a compassion. There was a truth. I could go there and get real information, including things like, stop doing that, Robin. 
That doesn't hold up to the Word of God, Robin. This does. Walk this way. Follow after this. Live this life. They love me. And the reason they love me is because they love God. Because God first loved them and gave Himself for them. The only way we men can be Ephesians, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, is that we love God and love His people. It's the only real way for me to fill, fulfill that passage. And the only reason I'm going to love God is because He has done a work in my life. So the first example that I know that I am of Him is that I love Him and love His people. And then we know that I do because we start to see it pour out of my life. Not perfectly, but purposely. Doing those things that God has put before me. And there's nothing before me but to love God and love His people. I don't have anything else. Nothing else at the end of the day is going to be there. We heard this morning that we all had to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, each man for his own actions. And the only reason I'm going to stand there and go through that day is because Jesus Christ loved me and gave Himself for me and made it possible for me to love God and lift up holy hands. The reason I have holy hands is not by any works of righteousness that Robin's done. I haven't washed them enough. I haven't carried the right translation around. I haven't had the right study. I don't have the right doctorate degree. I don't have anything except Him. And that's why my hands can be holy. I didn't wash them myself. Taking a nasty... We've all done filthy work where we went and got... Our rags get filthy. Have you ever wandered around your shop looking for a clean rag? And you pick up a dirty one and you, end up, you try to use it, you're more dirty than when you started? That's how it works in my house. Right? That's how it is when you and I try to wash our sins away. They just get nastier. Just covers more. So the first thing we see then is that we have a command that I'm to love God and love His people. How does that look? How does that work out? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 22, because remember, we're trying to be what this passage in Timothy told us. Now, just to refresh your mind for just a moment, remember what Paul told Timothy at the beginning of the letter. He said, I left you in Ephesus. You're there to do some work there, to see that no other doctrine is being taught, to lay the groundwork of the truth. And he proceeded to tell him what the truth was, remind him of that, remind him of his calling. And then he laid out some things. And then he told us what the women, the men should look like in this church gathering, what the women should look like. We should look like the church, those who are worshiping God and living a life and giving an appearance and being the person that the bride of Christ should be in every setting, both public and private. That's the picture. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. Compared to what was going on in Ephesus, you need to look polar opposite of it. The men were being feminized and the women were being politicized. It was completely upside down from what it should be and what the church should be. And Paul's writing to that end. So he tells him here, and he's now, so I said all that to say this in the book of Ephesus. Or in Ephesians, rather, he's writing to the Ephesians. He's writing this to him, and he says this in chapter 4, verse 17. 
Now remember in context, all of chapter 4, he just told us about the spiritual gifts and how he, God gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry, for equipping of the saints. He told us all about that. But now in verse 17, he says this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So Paul writes to the Ephesians the very same thing he's telling Timothy. You who have been converted, you who have been transformed, you can't walk like the Gentiles walk. You can't walk the way they do in Ephesus. You can't be the, the, of the cult of Diane. You can't claim what they say there. You can't use the world's measuring stick and apply that to the men and women of God and expect God to go, yeah, that's how it is here. No, it's the polar opposite. He's saying you can't walk that way anymore. And I submit to you and I that when we come out of, when we come out of death into life, we get saved. We come with a whole bunch of burial clothes. Go back to Lazarus. When God called him forth, he said, come forth, Lazarus. Lazarus comes forth out of the grave. And then he says to the disciples, loose him. Loose him. What? Loose him of what? Of all those burial rags that he'd been wrapped in. You and I, when we get saved, we come out of the world with a whole bunch of burial clothes that need to be pulled off. And we can either live with them and try to incorporate them into the church, or we can have mature brothers and sisters help us get that junk off of us and walk in a way that would please God. And Paul is instructing Timothy, and Timothy, and, and Paul is instructing the Ephesians, saying, look, don't walk in that old way. Because it's contrary for men. It's, men aren't supposed to be lifting up holy hands to God, praying everywhere, not get mad and justify my anger, not doubt everything that goes on. Now, it's not how men, are, men of God are supposed to be, but that's how the men of the world are. The, men, the women of the world are, supposed, are, are always claiming and doing instead of submitting to the order God has made. And let me just say this right here, women. I've been, I've been overwhelmed with, chap, with chapter 31 of Proverbs because I've been thinking about that woman in chapter 31. Remember that part where it says she considers a field and buys it? Have you ever really thought about that? I thought about it like this. I thought, well, you know, my wife does real estate and, and it's been a blessing to us and helped us immensely. But I, I thought about it. I thought if I came home one day and she said, well, I look, I've been looking at this field down the road, these 20 acres, and I bought it. <laughs> Amen, brother. And I thought about that. And I thought, First of all, her husband in that story, in Proverbs 31, is sitting at the gate with the other men of God. Lifting up holy hands. Praying everywhere. Without wrath and doubting. Being the man of God he's supposed to be so she could go and consider a field and purchase that field and bring it home. Why? Be not so she could brag about I bought a field and I got this over my husband and I'm in charge and he don't know any better and the world doesn't know and I'm free and I'm all these things. No! Because her genuine concern was for her home, her family, her God. I bought this field. Fixing to plant me a vineyard in it. Going to stomp them grapes. Going to sell that wine in the market going to use that money to increase my family. 
Might send one of my children to the school. Might buy a new spindle. I don't know what she's going to do. Maybe give it to my husband and buy more horses. The point is, that godly woman didn't get there by chance. Now we know it was an ordained event of God. We heard that this morning. But we also know that she was equipped to do that. You know how? Because she had practiced the feet, Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. She was willing to be taught. She was willing to listen. She was willing to submit to a godly husband. Fellas, I'm not, I say it every week and I'm going to say it again. Be the kind of man your wife can submit to. Give her something to submit to. And I don't mean arrogance ruling the way the world rules it in any capacity or thought. You know that. I'm talking about being a godly man. I'm the kind of man that any God-honoring woman would be gloriously happy to be with. Give her something she can submit to. Make it possible where she can freely go down and purchase that field and bring it back for the increase of the family. I thought, wow, that's powerful. But because we've come in such a narcissistic society and it's so self-centered that that's not what anybody does anything about. It's always just about me. Countless couples get married and divorced because they got married for themselves. Count, they, the world is constantly telling us it's always about you. Even I mean, my goodness, what are the, what are the themes from... Uh, when I was a boy, what was it? You can have it your way. You deserve a break today. It, you can have it your way. These kind of ads. Am I total my age now? Is that what just happened? I'm sure it hasn't changed. See, we've been commanded to live Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And the first reason that we know that I live that way is because I love God and love His people. The second thing is that I have some teaching here in the Scripture that tells me how it should look. It shouldn't look like the world. Why? Because it, it's when you have your understanding darkened, verse 18 of Ephesians 4, 18, and being alienated from the life of God, I dwell in ignorance. I dwell in blindness. As a matter of fact, I pass feeling, he says in verse 19, and give myself over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with, uncleanness with greediness. That's how the world does it. I go back to the cult of Diane, and you read about what was going on there. Such a perversion of what marriage is supposed to be. Such a perversion of what women were supposed to be. In every way contrary to what God has ordained and lined up, that's what they were teaching, and that's what was being spread around, and that's what those people who have been delivered were bringing in with them. And Paul has set Timothy there, and he set godly men and women there. He's going to set elders there so they can say, Hey, who do you love? You love God? Or the things of God? You love God? Or the blessings that come from being one of His? Do you love Him, or do you love the city that He dwells in? Do you want Him, or do you want the things about Him? And then, do you love your neighbors? It's hard to love your neighbor sometimes. Mine's Bud, by the way. He's the closest one to me. But he's 40 acres away. That's how we get along. I'm picking it, Bud. He's my dear friend. Do I love my neighbor? Do I love him enough to... Bear burdens with them and struggle with them and suffer with them and help them walk with them. That's what he's saying to him because he says in verse 20, he says, but you have not so learned Christ. In other words, Christ has not taught us verses 17, 18, and 19. 
That's not what we've gotten from Him. Matter of fact, we have the polar opposite in the teaching of Jesus Christ than what the world is saying here. We don't walk in the futility of our mind. We walk in the renewed mind of Jesus Christ. We don't walk in darkness. We walk in the light of the gospel. We don't walk uh, alienated from the life of God. We are alive because we dwell in Christ Jesus. Complete and total opposite of what the world says. We aren't past feeling. We feel. And I don't mean as the world feels, but genuine compassion and concern for those around us. When you understand the terror of the Lord, you genuinely become concerned about lost men and women. Not because they wish so-and-so would get better, get right, and have a better life, but because unless they repent and believe the gospel, they will perish. And we heard this morning about what it means to suffer in the lake of fire for all eternity. I read a, uh, a scientific journal here recently that said that they've been discovered, or they believe that there's a, the, the, most, the hottest temperature in flames is the black flame. I didn't know that. See, I always thought it was like, you know, blue or something like that, but it actually is a black flame. The hottest temperature they reach is the black flame. And I thought about hell out of the presence of God, an eternal lake of fire, and I never thought about it as completely dark, including the flames. So utterly consuming, so desperately painful, completely feeding and continuing to burn on the wickedness of men that dwell there along with the devil and his angels. When we start to grasp that, then we can be concerned about people's souls beyond just saying, well, I wish you'd get saved. Your life would be better. Your best life now. No. The terror of the Lord. And when you have had a glimpse of it, and everybody who's ever made a profession of faith and came to faith in Jesus Christ has had a glimpse and an understanding of the terror of the Lord. You've had something. God has shown Himself somehow to you in His great and mighty power, which includes His terror. Same God that is righteous also creates calamity. He says, if you, he said, you've not learned Christ. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. He's simply saying, man, we've got to take this off. We've got to take this old stuff off. We've got to get rid of it. And those old things are your burial clothes, those things you got buried with in the old man. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life. These are the things that have to be stripped away. But I'm telling you, it gets painful. You know how you get a Band-Aid on a wound, right? Remember them stick? They had it started making band-aids with sticky note glue, I think, because they didn't ever stay. That was a joke. You know, rip up. They're like, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, Mama, don't pull it off, don't pull it off. Rip. Well, that's how those burial clothes in our life are. They got to be pulled off. He says, he told us here. He's saying to the Ephesians, Ephesians, put off concerning your former conduct. I know in the old way you were in charge and authority and everything else, but not in the new way. I know in the old way you didn't have to lead and didn't have to set the example, but not in the new way. you got a new calling. The calling is Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying to us. He goes, in verse 23, he says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is why we have to renew our, be renewed daily. I don't know about you, but I have it, and I'm just going to say it this way and don't hold me over the fire. But I ha I ha there's a sense in which I feel like I use it all up by the end of the day. You know what I mean? I feel like I've used up the grace and the mercy of that day, and that's why His mercy is renewed every day. Don't you feel like occasionally sometimes you've used all that you had? If it wasn't, you would have choked, you would have Nehemiah a few people in the course of the day. 
right? Again, maybe it's just me. So I have to renew my mind. I have to be reminded this is not my home. And the suffering in this life no way compares with the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. And they still haven't nailed me to the cross, and nobody's taken blood from me yet for the, this world. Oh, they talk about me a little bit here and there, say a few bad things, a little scuffling every now and then, some little something along those lines, but nothing. Not in the grand scheme of things. But I still have to renew my mind. I have to be reminded of who I am in Christ Jesus. I am nothing apart from Him, and I am all that He says that I am in Him. I have to be reminded of that. So He says, renew in the spirit of your mind. In other words, in the spirit of Jesus Christ, renew your thoughts and actions in Him. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The new man is the man who lifts up holy hands. The new man is the man who prays everywhere. The new man is the man who does this without wrath and doubting. The new woman is the woman who says, I'm going to listen. Because I want to know how I'm going to purchase that property like I'm supposed to. I want to know how I'm going to be this Proverbs 31 woman. And I actually submit myself to my husband, my husband, not the rest of the world, by the way. And not because he's better than you, but because it's the order in which God has. I saw the other day where they had a two-headed snake, and this two-headed snake, each head swallowed a rat. Right? They had a video. You know how videos, anyway. The two head, the, the, each head of the snake was swallowing a rat. And I couldn't help but think, what happens when it gets here? Anything with two heads we call a freak. You see it at the freak show. You see it on TikTok. You see it on Facebook. It's a freak at the freak show. And a home with two heads is a freak. A church with two heads is a freak. This church has one head, Jesus, who is the Christ. Men, lift up your hands. Pray without wrath and doubting. Women, take on the role that God has ordained for you and live gloriously in the kingdom. Be all that you're supposed to be. Put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. God has not made you to suffer and be less than. That's not the point. But through you, He can show the glorious truths of His gospel. Through you, He can show what it means to be a submitted Christian. Through you, He can show what it means to worship Him in spirit and truth. Through you, He is demonstrating His glorious grace and mercy upon His people to a lost and dying world, to a world that's apart from Him, through you and me as the church of Jesus Christ. We've been commanded, and the command is love. We've been told here what one of the commands are, to put on the new mind the new person. But there's more. Let's go. We got more to do. I got time. Y'all got ears. We're all good. First Peter chapter 3. There's a little bit more going on here because we still want to say, well, why do I got to do this? Why do I got to act like this? If loving God wasn't enough and God saying is not enough. <laughs> First Peter chapter 3. This is a powerful one, I think. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husband, that even if some do not obey the word, 
they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Woo! You mean to tell me that if, uh, if, if a God-honoring woman would follow the best she's able in the guiding of the Holy Spirit, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-15, through 15, that that effort, that conduct, could lead to the salvation of her husband? Really? What? You mean she doesn't even have to tell him anything? Without a word. May be won by the conduct of their wives. More than once I've sat and talked to couples and individuals who were concerned for their husbands and these wives. And I said, well, just be the Christian woman God's called you to be. But Brother Robin, you don't know what it's like. No, I don't know what your situation is per se, but I, I know what it means to be married. I know what it means to live a, a life that my wife can submit to, to be how I'm supposed to be. I know the struggles of the flesh. I know how Robin likes to get in the way and wants what he wants. I know how he can get where he don't care what Sonia wants. He can get pretty fleshly. I know what it's like to be under correction from the Lord for not doing it. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to get took to the woodshed by the Lord. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to dwell in a house with a woman who's not happy. I know what that's like. I'm not telling nothing all y'all don't know. That's why y'all laughed and said amen. That's why. <laughs> right? I know that. But I also know that God didn't change His command because of your situation. He said, well, you got it extra bad, so you can just ignore that first Timothy chapter 2 section. As, you know, Paul didn't know about how bad your husband was. <laughs> Paul said, I wish you were like me and you weren't married, but that's another story. So we're seeing here that my obedience to the Word of God can lead to the salvation of souls. So that's another reason that we want to try to be obedient to that. I love God and I love His people. He's told me to do it and He gave me an example of how to do it. And now He's saying, your actions may lead to somebody's soul being delivered. Because I'm telling you, if an ungodly husband is living with a godly wife and she is living this kind of life sooner or later, he's going to want to know, what is the deal? Why, you, why do you act so nice when I'm so mean? Sooner or later. Because you know what that godly woman's doing? She's not trying to change her husband. She's asking God to change him. She's seeking the gospel of Jesus Christ to turn his heart. Because I'm here, nothing, we can get a dog to behave a little while. I got a blue healer. Occasionally I can make her obey. But when Christ changes a man's heart, when he goes from death to life, he's changed forever. And a godly woman, she's, she's seeking the Lord on his behalf. She's asking God to intervene in his life and change him. And she keeps living that life before him in such a way that on that day, on that day, all of that suffering, all of that enduring, all of that testimony, all of that will come out and it will all be revealed on the day in which God intervenes in his life. And we can praise God together for that could be a witness. We still have two more to go to. Titus. Titus. 
Titus chapter 2. So we've seen that it's a command of God that I love Him and I love His, His people. It's, he's given from Ephesians what that command is to walk in this new way, not in the old way of the Gentiles, not in the old way of uh, how it was in Ephesus. My life can be a witness. You know what else it does? It teaches. Look at Titus chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. He says, But as for you, speak these things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older, be, the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemy. He goes on to say, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself, this is the key here, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. He says to them, live that kind of life that teaches these truths. Live the kind of life that we see in Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, that encourage older men to be sober and reverent, to be temperate, to be sound in the faith and love. That instructs older women that they can be reverent in their behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine. I think that's funny, by the way. Tell old ladies not to drink as much. Teachers of good things. That they admonish the younger women. Listen, you go and start telling people how to do things and you're not doing them, nobody's listening. Okay? Nobody's listening. I don't care what you tell me. When I look at your life and you're not doing it, you tell me I should do this. You, told, you, you older, more mature women, you go to a young woman and say to her, you need to love your husband, you need to take care of children, you need to do these things, and you yourself aren't doing those things, I can guarantee you they have quit listening. I'm looking for examples. I'm looking for a life that I can emulate. I've always said this when I was raising my kids. Everybody knows how to raise children, by the way, especially if they don't have any. They're experts at that point. They always know what you should do with your youngins. And I had a simple motto on that. I looked at, the, I looked at a couple who was raising kids and asked myself, do I want my kids to be like your kids? That's, that was it. You want to tell me how to raise children? I want to look at your kids and say, Do I want my kids like yours? If the answer is yes, please instruct me on how you did that. But if the answer is no, don't instruct me. I need to see an example. Second, First Timothy chapter two, verses eight through fifteen, told us how we should act, men and women, in the church, so that we can show that we love God and love His people so that we would be obedient to the command that's in Ephesians, so that we could maybe win the lost by our words. David said it hundreds of times. I've heard him say it. You know, preach the gospel, and if you have to, say something. And now we're seeing that my very life, being lived in the gospel, instructs. The greatest tool of all, the life you've been given in Christ Jesus. Talk about authority. Talk about teaching. Talk about living for God. A life that somebody goes, man, you know what? I want to live like old brother Robin does. 
I want, I want his kind of life. And I can say, it's not mine, it's Jesus. Because I certainly don't want to go the other way and have somebody, you ought to do what I'm doing. I'm looking at your life going, you don't have, you don't have faith, you don't trust the Lord, you don't, you don't submit, you don't do those things. I don't, I'm, I'm scared, I don't know. I have enough trouble as it is. Don't add, you don't need to add nothing. He's saying to us, he's saying to us, live that kind of life. Last passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 12 through 15, and then I'll wrap it up there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 12 through 15. Why do we do this? So that God will be praised. So that God will be worshipped. So that God will be glorified. Look what Paul tells the Corinthians. Now, in the context, he was just telling them about their giving, their administration of a particular gift. Pick up in verse 12 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. He says, For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. So what he's saying to us is when you live this life, when you live that what, how men of God are supposed to live and how women of God are supposed to live, that administration of that gift, that ministry that you're doing in living that life, not only does it supply the needs of the saints, because the saints need to know how to do this. The number one question I get asked, I've been asked in my entire ministry life, is this. How do I live this life? How do I do this? How do I live the Christian life? He says here, this administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgiving to God. While though the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. You see what happens when we live this life. The proof of that who we are is demonstrated in the ministry and through our obedience to the confession of the gospel, we share this truth in men and women everywhere are praising God. That's why we live that life. That's why, men, we have to lift up holy hands. And we, the only way we can do this is confession in Jesus Christ. So before you ever start doing this, you really need to get, do this and bow down to the living God and ask Him to forgive you. So you can lift up holy hands and pray everywhere in a genuine, God-honoring way and without wrath or doubting. Wouldn't it be awesome just to be, spend the whole day praying? Every time you went to pray, there wasn't a doubt, wasn't a, well, I don't know if, you know, i got to pray this way or that way. The wrath wasn't there, but just genuine love. And for our women, the same results. To be the kind of life that when they look at you, you go, man, I think of a few names that come to my mind right here in this church that have went on to be with the Lord. That I, and I'll, you know, I think of Ann Lindell, Cyrene, some of the other, Daphne, some of the other saints, who the testimony from your mouths about them is that they met this. I think of Brother Kelton. Anybody think of Brother Kelton when their songs were playing this morning, that little picking was going on there for a moment? I had a little flash for a second of Brother Kelton. Just hitting them little, you know. And I thought, yeah, this is a man who lifted up holy hands. You ever met a time, you ever talked to Brother Kelton when he had Ralph and Doubting? 
We testify of God's greatness because of it. We rejoice in that. Well, this is a command from God that we live this way. And if you're having a struggle with it, then seek the Lord of glory who will give to you liberally all that you need to live the life that He has commanded you to live. That's what I'm doing. And I'm praising God for it. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for this time with your people. I pray, Father, I've communicated what you wanted communicated. Again, Lord Jesus, you're the one who picked this clay pot. And so, Father, just wash out anything that was of no value. Take it out of their hearts and minds right now before it ever even has a chance. And only leave what you had, what you wanted them to be strengthened and encouraged with here today. I thank you so much for your word of truth that teaches us how we are to live and gives us what we need to live that life and encourage us to do so. Father, I love you and I thank you for all of this mercy. I thank you for every person represented here. And I pray, Father, that you strengthen them to strive after the truths of your word, to be the men and women of God that you would have us to be in this place. So that on the great and terrible day of the Lord, that we will face it with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And stand in the confidence of the blood of the Lamb and have the assurance that we are going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I love you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.